We're off to fight fires on our engine bright red. With sirens all blaring, it's full speed ahead. Welcome back to Deep in Bear Country, a Berenstain Bear cast. I am your host, Phil Gonzalez, and this week... There is currently this meme going around, uh, this sort of, it's not even a meme, it's just like a thing, like a statement somebody made, I don't know if it was on Twitter, I don't know where it came from, this thing was stated that's now become a meme, and it's that men think about ancient Rome more than like anything else, like all men are thinking about ancient Rome at some time during the day, I'm not really following it, I'm not as like constantly online and aware of whatever the hot meme of the day is going around. But I've seen plenty of my friends make reference to it. And in my mind, I was like, I don't think about ancient Rome that often. I don't have call to. I'm not a professor of any sort. And I am not a an archaeologist. I'm not an anthropologist. I don't I don't read the classics and I don't know how to speak uh, Greek or Latin or anything. So I don't think about ancient Rome unless I absolutely positively have to. And then I looked at this week's book and I started researching it. And I was like, I, I have to think about ancient Rome. Because this week, this week's book, ladies and gentlemen, this week's book is uh, it's uh, going to make us deal with ancient Rome. And why would we need to deal with ancient Rome? With the, with the Oh, is it a history book? No, it's not. But you know me. I love a deep dive. That's right. This week's book starts in ancient Rome because it is the Berenstain Bears Visit the Firehouse. And where did firefighting begin? Well, historically speaking, we know that the first recorded civic firefighting whatevers were in ancient Rome. So we have to go back to ancient So I have to think about ancient Rome. Sorry, everyone. I'm sorry. Uh, yes, it's the Berenstain Bears Visit the Firehouse by Mike Berenstain. This is from, my old eyes can't see, this is from 2016, which is, I think, where our last book was from. And I got into a bit of a conundrum. I wanted to videotape, the, uh, videotape. I wanted to pull out my old Sony camcorder and videotape it up for you alls. No, I wanted to, I wanted to record this one so that I could get, get it on, so I could show it on the YouTube. The beautiful YouTube. But I own this book for for physical. I own an act. Well, you can't see it; it's covered. But if you imagine, I'm holding up a copy of this book. There it is. I'm holding up a copy of this book. The Berenstain Bears visit the firehouse. Now it's easier to do this if I own a digital copy of the book. But I was like, I'm not buying a digital copy of this book when I've clearly already bought a physical copy of this book. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time I've done that. But I was like, I don't need multiple copies of the Berenstain Bears Visit the Firehouse in my possession. However, I wanted to do this, and I didn't want to have to jimmy up. A... This is a long way of saying I found myself. A... I, what I ended up having to do is, if you go to YouTube, there's like about 50 different YouTube channels that are just a woman reading a children's book. And there's pretty much every Berenstain Bears book has been covered. I found a YouTube channel where a person had actually scanned the book in. Uh, and so I took screenshots of that YouTube channel. That's what I'm using. But I wanted you to know that I actually I actually own this book. I didn't, like, not pay for this book. I own these books. 
The only books I've ever had to like, never mind. There's a few that are so out of print and like really expensive that I kind of had to like, like, especially like some of the stuff that like Brad and Jeremy collect that I am not going to go buy my own copy of, but I want to talk about it. Then I'll find ways to see that, but I don't pretend to own it. And I always destroy the file when I'm done, which is what I'm going to do with this. Uh, because I don't need a digital copy of this book. Not that it's a bad book. What does it have to do with ancient Rome? Let's find out. Uh, the Berenstain Bears Visit the Firehouse is about the Berenstain Bears visiting a firehouse. As Brad and Mariska would say, spoiler alert, they do. Uh, it's also another wonderful Mike wants to draw a bunch of machines and animals book. In this case, the animals, there's one animal. But also, this is our first time really dealing with firefighters. Like in all the... On eight and a half years I've been doing this show, we've never really dealt with firefighters. If I had been doing a Clifford the Big Red Dog podcast, we would have dealt with firefighters a long time ago because Clifford visits the firehouse a couple of times, I think. I believe he visits it like twice in the original Clifford series. He has a brother. One of his litter mates is a fire dog. I, 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 guess, it's, I guess it's important. He's not a Dalmatian. He's just a fire dog. He's a retriever of sorts like Clifford is uh, or a Labrador of sorts like Clifford is supposed to be because Clifford's not supposed to be red. Uh, but he, and he has like a, a there's like he was born to a litter and he was the runt. And uh, throughout the book series, the original book series by uh, by Bridwell, Norman Bridwell, uh, you meet many of Clifford's brothers and sisters, just like uh, Snoopy. You meet you eventually meet like all of Snoopy's litter mates as well. With Clifford, you meet them. And one of them is a big heroic Fire dog. What was I talking about? Oh, uh, so if we had been doing a Clifford podcast, we would have talked about firefighters already. Except we'd have to talk about like firefighters in the 1950s or 60s, whenever that book came out. This is, we're talking about modern firefighting here. But in order to talk about f modern firefighting, we got to go back, way back, to ancient Rome. Uh, the ancient Romans had, okay, so the weird thing about fire brigades, I guess is how we think of them. They're fire brigades, fire departments, firefighters. Uh, formerly firemen, firemen, uh, is that there's this weird, I can't go into it because we'll be here all day and I'm not a historian, but there is a, there is this link between the birth of the fire brigade and the birth of the police department, uh, and the, the, and the, the origins of those two and how they're tied into what is, what was known as like a night watch. Uh, and night watches were not traditionally like tied into city government or anything. Many that like you, your neighborhood would have its own night watch. Uh, neighbors were expected to patrol their own areas, and uh, that went for policing, and that went for fire protection. Uh, but it was it was in ancient Rome that they started uh, really sort of trying to to get it together. I'm going to pull this up here. Uh, there was something called. I'm going to totally Tresviri Capitals, uh, which was part of the Viginti Sexviri Colleges in ancient Rome. Uh, and the Tresviri Capitals or the Tresviri Nocturni uh, were these where you would have like these three uh, men, men and, you know, freed men uh, who would who were in charge of the police department, like the policing and uh, the firefighting. And what was interesting is that the, the people, like the, the, the actual populace, did not like this. Uh, 
because they didn't think they did a very good job and there was too much association with the corruption of a police department and the corruption of a fire department. Uh, but Pliny the Elder, good old Pliny the Elder, uh, was was an outspoken proponent of fire departments. He saw, he witnessed um, uh, uh, terrible fires, like in his time, uh, and ended up writing to, I'm looking for it, uh, he ended up writing to Tra Tra Trajan, Trajan, uh, one of the emperors of the time, uh, that he says, while I was making a progress in a different part of the province, a most extensive fire broke out at Nicomedia, which not only consumed several private houses, but also two public buildings, uh, the townhouse and the temple of Isis, though they stood on contrary sides of the street. Uh, the occasion of its spreading thus far was partly owing to the violence of the wind and partly to the indolence of the people who manifestly stood idle and motionless spectators of this terrible calamity. The truth is, the city was not furnished with either engines, which presumably has a way of like getting water from one point to another, uh, buckets, or any single instrument suitable for extinguishing fires which I have now, however, given directions to have prepared. So Pliny has provided uh, sort of a, a, a rough outline on how to put together a fire department. You will consider, sir, whether it may not be advisable to institute a company of firemen consisting of only of 150 members. I will take care uh, none but those of that business shall be admitted into it and that the privileges granted to them shall not be applied to any other purpose. As this corporate body will be restricted to so small a number of members, it'll be easier to keep them under proper regulation. And I love that Pliny just sort of lays it all out. He lays out essentially what is a modern fire department, which is it's a specific small number of people trained to fight fires. They don't do anything else. Only the people who are trained are allowed to go to the fires and fight those fires. Uh, you keep the numbers small enough so it's not overwhelming, presumably so they don't form their own like political party, as tends to happen. Uh, and the city will, will, will keep under control. And the emperor says, uh, you are of the opinion it would be proper to establish a company of firemen in Nicomedia, agreeably to what has been practiced in several other cities. But it is to be remembered, I like this, that societies of this sort have greatly disturbed the peace of the province in general and of those cities in particular. Whatever name we give them and for whatever purposes they may be founded, they will not fail to form themselves into factious assemblies, however short their meetings may be. It will therefore be safer to provide such machines as are of service in extinguishing fires and joining the owners of houses to assist in preventing the mischief from spreading. And if it should be necessary to call in the aid of the populace. So there was this push and pull between, uh, between wanting an organized firefighting brigade and wanting the population to take care of their own houses. Uh, because you get, you, you start making organizations, organizations get organized and those organized organizations, uh, become a problem. Uh, ultimately, of course, we did see rough approximations of what we think of as fire brigades springing up. Uh, and, but, but the boom of the firefighting, the boom of the fire brigade really, really started in London. That was, that was when we, because London, okay. So again, I can't go into this. You can look, look this up online. There's so many wonderful videos on the history of fires in London because they were well documented. Like this was not this, like even going back so back so far as like the pre 10 hundreds fires were a huge deal. Why? Because houses were made out of the most combustible things on the planet. Like it's almost like they were like, should we build our houses out of wood? And the housemakers were like, is there anything more combustible we could use? Is there anything more combustible, deadly, and spreadable 
And don't even get me started on when chimneys were invented. That was like a whole other thing. And I know you're thinking like, well, or don't chimneys carry things up and out? They do. They carry hot ashes and smoke up and out, which lands on the roof of your house and sets it on fire. Also, chimneys are weird and they require like very, very specific ratios of dimensions to the from the base to the top to the length. Like, And if you don't put those all together, the, the smoke doesn't go up. They get too hot. And also, if you're using cheap brick, that brick will explode. Like, if the brick has any moisture in it, that moisture will expand as it gets hot and just pop and explode, and then houses will explode. And so if you if you look at the history of the fires of London, that's a lot of what it was. It was exploding houses that quickly spread. Remember, these houses were at times, like, leaning over the streets towards each other. So they weren't even as far apart as a street is wide. And some of those streets... Pretty darn narrow. I don't know if you've ever been to England. I sure haven't. But I do know one thing. Not all those streets were designed for cars. They weren't always designed for cars. And they things caught fire. So, uh, so these brigades were established. And what's really interesting is the, uh, the notion of, I believe it was in the 17th century. And maybe in the 16th century. One of the two. Uh, Fire insurance was this thing. And you'll see, if you, if you had the fire, if you paid a fire insurance company, you were required to have their symbol posted outside your, your building, your, either your house or your place of business. And you'll still see them today. One of the most popular ones is, I can't remember what the company is called, but you'll see like these metal, like two hands shaking. Like that was like the, the company's logo. And just this like big metal, like, Thing fastened to the wall so that the fire brigade like that company that company would have a fire brigade and they would know which houses were that company's houses now there was always this persistent myth that fire brigades for certain insurance companies would only put out houses that that insurance company that the, that were insured under that company and you'll still hear that today they'll be like firefighters would get there, they'd see the house on fire and be like, oh, that's not ours. And they just hightail it out of there. Research into this, like historical research had to be undertaken uh, to, to to figure this out. I looked it up and I read, I read it. It's, uh, there's a, there's a website called Tom Scott, Paul J. Silito uh, in December of 22. So just last year, uh, wrote a whole paper called It Did Insurance Fire Brigades Let Uninsured Buildings Burn? And it's a long study uh, with, how many footnotes does this thing have? A lot, like over a hundred, like 106 footnotes, uh, looking into insurance papers and historical documents, going, going back, going way, way back. Kind of find out they did not just let buildings burn. In fact, the incentives that the, that the city placed on fire brigades, which was basically the first person to get there gets a chunk of change, uh, meant that they were competing. And in fact, what ended up happening was there were over tw- eventually, uh, I believe into the 19th century, uh, ultimately over 20 different insurance companies operating in London. And these fire brigades would rush through the streets at breakneck speed to get to houses. They'd get there. Of course, there'd be other fire companies there already. And these firefighters who were usually like river workers, they were the hardiest of the hardy. They were they were the men who could lift heavy loads, who were used to backbreaking work, who weren't afraid to jump into a fire uh, and get up close to a house. Uh, they were also pretty, pretty rough customers. And so you would have 
fisticuffs, essentially, in the middle of the street. And also, if you didn't get there first, uh, and also, if, say, the Thames was uh, ebbing at the time and was at a low point or if there was a drought and there wasn't that much water in the Thames, you just didn't have anything to fight the fire with. Like, if you didn't have fire, uh, water, you couldn't fight the fire. So you had all these competing fi uh, fire insurance companies, all these competing engines, all these competing firefighters fighting in the streets, getting mad, having nothing to do because they would get there and then they'd just stand around doing nothing. That fed into the myth that these firefighters weren't actually fighting fires because many of them ended up not needing to. That, that's, it's just, that's the way it worked. It was, there was just so many firefighters. Uh, I went into that a lot, but it's, it's, it's somewhat pertinent to what we're discussing. There's a long history of firefightery in the world because it's unlike police firefighters are there to save the city like historically firefighters are there to make sure that the next morning your city still exists uh, as opposed to policemen who are there not to do that like just not to do that like that's not their we're not going to get into it but firefighters are there. Officer Marguerite has a lot to answer for. Firefighters are specifically there to make sure the city doesn't burn. And you can say, well, they're both just protecting property. Right. But when a pawn shop gets broken into at two in the morning and all of their watches get stolen, I feel bad a little bit for the pawn bro. I, maybe I don't feel bad for the pawn shop owner. I, I don't know. I don't aren't pawn shop. I'm not going to get into pawn shop owners. But that's it. Like, it's a monetary loss. If your windows get smashed, it's it's annoying and it's scary, but it's a monetary loss. Uh, but if a fire destroys a building, it's just going to keep destroying buildings. And building after building after building until someone puts that fire out. Uh, and so traditionally, well, we'll get into this when we get into this story. Because there's not much of a story here, but we do learn some interesting things about the old bear family in The Berenstain Bears Visit the Firehouse. What is this story about? Well. What is this story about? Uh, I don't know. It is about. Uh, the Cubs are all sitting around playing with fire trucks. This is unusual behavior for the Cubs. We don't usually see them all playing the same thing together. Uh, it's brother and sister and honey. They're playing with fire trucks, making noises. Clang, clang, clang. EU, EU, brr, brr. Um, it's funny. It, like... The divisions between the Cubs because of their ages and their intelligence and their interests is usually drawn pretty harshly in these books. Uh, not as a way of dividing our beloved Cubs. Not as a way of criticizing them, but as a way of saying they're individual people. It's interesting to see them all playing together. Uh, it's really interesting to see Mama and Papa standing behind them, uh, holding each other's arms in, like, love and tenderness. Parents don't do that. Parents don't do that. Maybe they do. Maybe the Cubs have been fighting all day and they finally got them settled down. I don't know. All I know is that these Cubs not only have a bunch of toys, they have a house that's actually on fire. There's a they're they're pretending the trucks are rushing to the fire and there's like a like a toy house in front of them. It just looks like the house is on fire. I don't know if like maybe brother like got some of his famous chemicals out. Maybe he turned to old nerdy turdy. What's his name? Ferdy Factual. It's not nerdy turdy. I don't know why I said that. That's rude and uncalled for. He turns to Ferdy Factual and he's like, can you, do you have any of them fire chemicals? 
And Ferdy Factual was like, do you mean like something that'll put out a fire? He's like, no, 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 something that'll make a fire. You have anything that'll make a, a small fire? Just a little one that we can play with. And Freddy's like, the fire doesn't work that way. I don't think fire works that way. Bro. Like, I don't think you understand the nature of fire. And brother's like, mm, I don't know. You make it small enough. Can't we put it into a little toy house and have our little uh, fire engines go? And we can play with the fire. And Freddy's like, that's literally the opposite of how it would work. The, the house would completely be engulfed in flames and it would spread to your carpeting. And then your owl lamp. And then where are you going to be? You live in a log. You live in what is essentially firewood, brother. Don't play with fire. Is what Ferdy Factual might say if that had actually happened. Uh, so Pop is like, you know what? Your cousin Wilbur is a real firefighter and he lives at the firehouse. He says Wilbur lives at the firehouse. I don't think Wilbur lives at the firehouse. I think Wilbur is at the firehouse a lot. He probably he sleeps there. It's his job. But I bet Wilbur has a house. Like, I bet if Wilbur never left the firehouse... That would be a book in and of itself. Also, I don't know who Cousin Wilbur is. I know who Uncle Wilbur is. We talked about him in the Berenstain Bears Give Thanks. We have an Uncle Wilbur. Never heard of this Cousin Wilbur, but he says, your Cousin Wilbur. Now, he could be referring to Mama. He could be like, you know, your Cousin Wilbur, like turning to Mama, because he is gesturing sort of towards Mama in the picture. Your Cousin Wilbur is a real firefighter. Then he turns to the Cubs. He lives down in the firehouse. That's all I can imagine, because this cousin is not a cub. He's an, uh, he's an adultman. He's a grownman. He's not a child who works at the firehouse, who lives at the fire. He's not like the, they're like Jackie Cooper-esque mascot. He's, he's a man, a strong man who works at the firehouse, uh, fighting fires. Uh, also, the cubs don't, ever, don't seem to know who he is, because the brother's like, Really? Can we visit him? Like, they've never heard of their cousin Wilbur before. Leading me to believe it may be not even a real cousin. Maybe they're just like, Wilbur owes us a favor. Let's take the kids to meet him. Let's go meet real firefighters. Uh, so they head on down, and here comes Wilbur. He's got like a, like a hat, like a, like not a fireman's hat, but like a, hello, it's a white hat, and I'm wearing a white shirt because I'm that kind of firefighter. What is he like a, a a a chief? I don't know what. Who wears that hat? Did he just come off of his yacht? I can't tell. In any case, he's very happy to greet them. He's like, "What brings you down here, eh?" And the mama and papa are like, "Ah, oh, we thought you could give the cubs a tour of a real firehouse." And I'm like, "That's kind of you may be imposing on them. Like, who knows? I don't know. What do firefighters do? What do firefighters do all day? Also, this is how the movie Wreck begins." Uh, this is this is the beginning of the movie Wreck, and don't worry. This entire book is the beginning of the movie Wreck. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie Wreck, R E C, it's a Spanish film about a, a female reporter uh, for a sort of a fluffy morning type show, like a like a you know like I don't know a check it out with Steve Brule type show, where she goes out and she meets community members and talks about their interesting jobs. And so she's filming a fluff piece about a firefighting brigade. Uh, and she goes to the firehouse and meets all the firefighters and eats with them and sees how they cook and what they do to hang out. And she and they flirts with them a little bit. And they're all very rough and tumble and nice. And they get a call. It's not actually a medical emergency. So they hop in the truck and she puts on a hat and gets in the truck with her with her cameraman. It's all found footage. And they head on down to this apartment building uh, because there's a woman in distress. 
and they're going to go check it out and they get there and then all heck breaks loose. And it's one of the most terrifying films ever made. It's pretty scary, uh, but it's also a found footage film. And the woman who played the lead, whose name I can't remember, uh, was an actual television host. Like that was her job. She was a Maria Menounos type. And they cast her in the role because she was just a natural at it. She's amazing. She pulls it off well. You, she's great. She's in a few of the sequels. Uh, and uh, I am an unapologetic fan of Rec 3. It's more of a comedy. It's really, it's got a lot of dark humor in it. Uh, it's also really plays with the found footage aspect very hilariously. It's a, more of a commentary on found footage than an actual found It stops being found footage at one point, but the way it does it is is thumbs its nose a little bit at the at the setup of the genre. In any case, check out the Rec series. Rec, Rec 2, Rec 3, and Rec 4. Rec 4 is not my favorite. Gets a little too... It's like the opposite of Rec 3. It takes itself a little too seriously. Gets a little too into like the lore of Rec. But it's got some great acting. And some good chills and thrills. But it also... It starts with them going to a firehouse. And kind of being greeted like this. Uh, so the, the Cubs meet the firefighters. And they also meet Paisley. The firefighting dog. Under the fire dog. Not firefighting dog. This dog does not fight fires. It's a fire dog. What's a fire dog? By the way, uh, first of all, a fire dog is a metal thing that goes in front of a fireplace. I was like, oh, I did not know this. But fire dogs are like these. They're not shaped like dogs. No one knows really why they're shaped. They're called fire dogs. They're called fire dogs. They go in front of your fireplace. Uh, but fire dogs, Dalmatians. Uh, not all fire dogs are Dalmatians, but and not all Dalmatians are fire dogs. That's it. That's all I have to say about that. No, fire dogs. I was like, why? Uh, why are Dalmatians? Like, you see Dalmatians as like, that's a fire dog. Why? Why Dalmatians? Uh, we'll come to find out. When the Dalmatian breed was introduced, it was introduced as what is known as a carriage dog, which uh, is a dog that you would, I mean, it would follow carriages. You would raise a dog or, or a breed. Uh, to follow your carriage, like your horse-drawn carriage, in the countryside or wherever, and to protect you. Uh, it, well, it served it served several functions. It was there to to you know because fiercely loyal dogs and fierce dogs like Dalmatians are no there are no dogs to fool around with. Like they are, they will go at you if they if they need to. Um, Dalmatians will they were there to protect the carriages. And scare off, you know, any possible like brigands or whatever. Uh, but also, because in order to become effective carriage dogs, they were raised alongside the horses. So you would have these puppies. You'd be training them to be carriage dogs. They'd sleep in the stables. They they would be raised with these horses. Uh, so they were essentially the horses' family. And one of the benefits of that is that the horses were then calmed by the presence of the carriage dogs. The carriage dogs were there to not only protect the people there, but also to take care of the horses. And they, when fire brigades started proliferating, uh, they started taking Dalmatians with them because Dalmatians were carriage dogs and horses pulled the fire engines and you needed a dog there to keep the horses calm. That's one of the things that the that the they would they would guard the horses, they would protect the horses during the fire, and they had a calming effect because as you can imagine, it's probably pretty chaotic around a fire in London in the 1800s. Uh, 
fire dogs don't do that anymore because horses don't pull fire engines anymore. So they just kind of became a mascot and they are fiercely loyal dogs and you still see them around fire departments and they're, they, they're the symbol of like firefighting. So that's why Dalmatians are fire dogs. Not all Dalmatians are fire dogs. Not all fire dogs are Dalmatians. I don't know. That's it. That's all I have to, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, fire dogs. And they're cute. Uh, Paisley is a fun name for a dog too. I like that name. Uh, so here's where we start getting into like, uh, the nuts and bolts of everything. So Cousin Wilbur's like, fire trucks are called fire engines, which I think we know. Um, this is the pumper. It carried, so he's talking about the different types of fire engines. And this is actually educational. So listen up. So there's the pumper. You could probably figure out what that is. It pumps the water. So it has the hoses and the pumps. You connect the hose up to the fire hydrant. The engine in the machine pulls the water. I mean, the fire hydrant's really pressurized anyway, but it goes through the machine, comes out the hose super pressurized so that it can reach really high and really far. Um, but then you also have the hook and ladder, which is a much bigger truck that has a giant ladder that can reach really high on the buildings. Now, Sister says, why is it called a hook and ladder truck? And Cousin Wilbur says, because of these. And he pulls down a fire hook. And you can see the fire hook in the picture, but I'm sure you've seen them. They're long poles with a pike and a hook at the end. Uh, and he says fire hooks are used to tear down walls and ceilings in a fire. Now, he doesn't go into that. Like, why do you need to tear down walls and ceilings? Well, what I learned as a kid was you use these poles. If people were trapped inside, he needed to get through a wall. You just, you would tear it down with a fire hook. What they're really for is, well, the, initially, there were two major tools in a firefighter's uh, toolbox. Uh, forget about the hoses for now. Uh, forget about the buckets. Forget about bucket brigades. The two big tools in a firefighter's toolbox were at the axe and the hook, uh, both of which were used to knock down the building that was on fire. Why? Because it was more important to get the fire stopped than to save the building. Uh, that's just that, that because you know, the, the, the danger of the fire, the reason no one would not put a fire out, regardless of whose insurance company it was, is because if that fire gets out of control, you're going to end up with one of the like eight major fires of London because they just spread and they don't stop. So a house is on fire. If it's gone past your basic, if it's starting to look bad, you, you grab that ho those hooks and you just start pulling the house down. Like you literally just start ripping the walls down so that the fire will become contained and not spread to the houses on either side of it. Uh, I don't think that Wilbur does that. I don't think that too many houses. First of all, the houses in Bear Country. Pretty far apart. Uh, for another thing. We'd probably hear about it if that was the case. Uh Oh, so then he shows the biggest truck, uh, the tiller rig. It has two sections joined together so it can make sharp turns. Uh, have, did you ever? Okay. Atari or Namco? Was it Atari or Namco? I'm not even going to look it up. Don't worry, Alana. I'm not looking this up. Was it Atari, Atari or Namco had a video game, uh, an arcade game uh, that was a firefighting game, and you had to steer the fire engine to the fire. But it required, it was a two-player game. You had to have two players 
to play this game properly because it, the way it was was it was two two steering wheels, um, a front steering wheel and a back steering wheel, and like in a tiller rig, one person drove the front, one person drove the back, and it was super hard to coordinate. How many tokens did I pump into this machine at Chuck E. Cheese's before I figured out that it needed two people to play? Listeners, too many tokens at Chuck E. Cheese's. Uh, but yeah, so the, the driver who steers the rear section is called the Tillerman. And that's Cousin Wilbur's job. Tea for this Tillerman. Let's spill the tea. I guess that's what the hat's for? I don't know. Uh, what, then the, okay, then the book gets weird, because Brother's like, can we help you steer? Why not, said Cousin Wilbur. After our tour, we'll go for a ride, to which I say, I never got good at the Chuck E. Cheese arcade version of this reality, Cousin Wilbur. I, I wouldn't let children steer the tiller. Don't let them at the tiller. Isn't that what it's called on a boat, too? You do the tiller? Is that the tiller? Something? I don't care. Who cares? Oh, ho. There's something a little Richard Scary about this page. Not like, ooh, scary, but like Richard Scary, the, the children's book artist and writer. Uh, he shows off the guy. This is When I was a kid, this is my favorite kind of book. A book that had like a page with like a bunch of stuff on it and the stuff had words next to it, like labeling it. The, I, you just, if you, I, I guarantee you, I would have stared at this one page for like 15 minutes, 15 minutes straight. Just, I don't know why, like, it, cause uh, there's something about labeling little things. Like I was also really big. I think it, it, it triggers the same like pleasure centers in my brain that like doll houses do, but doll houses with like little props and the more like, uh, specific, like, hyper specific, the little props are that like. The more my little neurons fire and the happier I am. It's also a reason I love Playmobil so much because Playmobil understands the the necessity of little tiny props that conform to the to the theme of your playset. And some of you are probably thinking, well, Lego does that too. Lego's never Lego has never caused the pleasure centers of my brain to go off. Like I enjoy Lego. There's a challenge, like putting it together is a challenge, but the pieces themselves do nothing for me. The final products are cool pieces themselves but the but playmobil pieces like a little a little newspaper i have a little a little outhouse that's just i love it i'll open and close the door i'm like it's so little and i think that's what these kind of pages did for me is they made me they made, got let me see little versions of things carefully laid out so we have a fire axe we already explained that sledgehammer bust down walls bolt cutter gotta cut some bolts crowbar gotta crow them bars you have rope you have a fire extinguisher seems weird to have a fire extinguisher like, that'd be like, I'm going out to mow that hay and you're only like your big, like, farm equipment. But you also bring, like, a pair of, like, shears with you, <laughs> just in case. Uh, a wedge to hold open a door, I guess. A chainsaw. Hmm? And a jack. I don't know what the jack does. A jack, 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 jack. I think it does that. Jack, 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 jack. Like a hydraulic jack to, like, break up stuff. Um, you also have an air cylinder and a mask. That's for smoke. Uh, we all know the most dangerous part of a fire is the fumes, be it from smoke, be it from chemicals. Houses burn, and houses are made out of all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, and it's not just wood and paint, my friends. It is 
There's insulation, there's foam, there's joists and hoists, gloists and moists, and they burn, and they're all made out of gross things, and when that stuff burns, it gets into your lungs, and then 20 years later, you're on a respirator, uh, and your insurance certainly doesn't cover it. So, Taran Tarah, thank God for the American healthcare system. Uh, I mean, I assume if you're a firefighter, you have some sort of insurance, but I bet it's not great. What's this funny looking thing? Asked brother. Oh, these are the jaws of life, said cousin Wilbur. We use them to pry things apart when we need to get into tight spaces. Uh, and he does not go into the jaws of life any further. Uh, but you can bet your booty I did. I was like, you know what? I don't know enough about the jaws of life. What are jaws of life? Well, they're actually called hydraulic rescue tools. Um, there's three kinds of jaws. Of, well, there's three kinds of hydraulic rescue tools in general. Cutters, spreaders, and rams. And I think you can figure out what each one of those does. Cutters cut, spreaders spread, and rams are a very, very good Paul McCartney. Uh, so you have cutters, which cut, and they are, these are all hydraulically powered. So these are powerful things. Uh, they were invented in, uh, first used, I should say, in, they were invented in 1961, first used in 1963, and they were used for race car drivers, of all things. Like, when you would get in a crash, you would be trapped in your car, and they'd have to get you out. Um, uh, they were invented in 61, uh, when George Hurst of Hurst Rescue Tool uh, saw an accident at a stock car race, and it took over an hour to get the injured driver from the car. Uh, so you would, they would be cutting at the car with like circular saws, um, which were loud and caused sparks, which could start a fire. Uh, they were slow. You would try to pry things open with crowbars, but that could sometimes like pop the vehicle apart in the wrong places. You could injure the person who's trapped inside. So you had these hydraulic rescue tools, which were quieter, and I. It, it, it's like it keeps the stress level down. They're fast, they're strong, and they're more versatile because you can they can spread things and you spread. Uh, if they have a blade, they can cut. You can lift things. You can you can pound through things. And they started calling them the jaws of life. Mike Brick, who is uh, Tim Smith and Mike Brick, invented the spreader, and uh, and then they later developed the cutter and the ram. Uh, and Mike Brick coined the phrase jaws of life after he observed people calling saying that the device, quote, snatched people from the jaws of death. Uh, and then, so that's when they started saying, well, these are the jaws of life because they are, it's, they're the jaws of life. Uh, it's funny. It's funny. It's a play on, it's a play on an old expression. Uh, I didn't know that. All I knew, as a kid, jaws of life were just, usually it was a punchline. Uh, something bad would happen and you, a character would be like, get the jaws of life. And you'd know that, you were supposed to laugh. I didn't know what Jaws of Life were. I I think I, when I was a little kid, I thought they were just Data's teeth, springs with teeth on the end from Goonies. What does he call those? Does he call those Jaws of Life? He doesn't call those Jaws of Life, does he? I don't remember. In any case, that's what that was to me. And so in my head, I was like, how does that help anyone? I don't get this at all. Uh, if you notice, I haven't talked much about the Cubs. Cubs are barely in this. The Cubs aren't doing anything. They're just getting shown around the fire. I mean, that's fine. You know what? They don't need to be the center of everything. Uh, they try on the fire helmets. That's really cool. They're like, well, where do you live? Uh, do you live here? 
Uh, to which Cousin Wilbur's like, don't tell anyone, but yes, I do. Yes, I live upstairs, says Cousin Wilbur. Um, and when they ha- as they're heading upstairs, they're like, what's that pole? And he's like, oh, we slide that down that fire pole uh, so we can get from the top floor to the bottom floor. And now I love this part. This is the part that I was like, that really made me look into the history of fire poles. Don't worry. Mama says, is that safe? And Cousin Wilbur says, not always. Some firehouses don't use them. But it is the quickest way to get downstairs. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're calling out fire poles in this, ho- in this like book for children about how awesome firefighters are. We're calling out fire poles as not always being safe. I've got to look into this. How dangerous are fire poles? Well, I learned that the history of the fire pole, which I love, and I love all of you, so that's why I do this for you. Uh, the history of the fire pole, or fireman's pole, or sliding pole, or firefighter's pole, uh, it comes from the 1970s. Uh, in Chicago, so what, traditionally firefighters would sleep in the firehouse. They would sleep on the second floor because below them were the stables. That's right. Uh, you had the horses there to pull the carriages. Uh, so you slept above the horses and the carriages were down below. Uh, but there was a pole um, that they used as part of a lift, a hay lift. And in the 1970s, firefighters... Uh, I guess we know who George George Reed, a Chicago firefighter, uh, decided to use the pole in the in the hayloft to slide down when they got called to a fire. Uh, that way he would get down to the ground before the rest of the guys did. And they just started using this. They actually installed uh, company captain David Kenyon of Engine Company 21 uh, petitioned the department to be allowed to install the pole in the sleeping space. Uh, and to cut a hole in the floor and put a pole in so they could slide down into the, into the carriage house. And eventually all over Chicago, they started doing this. They actually got made fun of for a while for doing it because they have this goofy pole in their fireplace, but their engines always got there first. So eventually it kind of became the standard, like a worldwide, Whoa, I just bumped my table. It became a worldwide standard, uh, because before then you would use, they had installed, that was funny. They had installed spiral staircases and I was like, is that faster? It's not faster. You couldn't use regular stairs because the horses would try to climb up into the sleeping areas, which I found very funny. So uh, you would have to have spiral staircases. They had sliding chutes, which sounds awesome, but I get why they didn't like that. Now, that continued for forever. Um, however, they're not the safest things in the world. If you lose your grip, you could fall. And you can fall, depending on the size of your firehouse, you can fall several floors. Uh, you can break your legs. You can you can get burned from from the pole, uh, and uh, you can fall through the hole if there's not appropriate guards around it. But the big one that I had never thought of was if you if you're sleeping above the engines, and those engines idle, you're getting exhaust fumes up in the sleeping area. So exhaust fumes in the sleeping quarters are actually, were actually a big, a big problem. Um, and, uh, in the 19, so in the 1970s, they just started being like, wait, we don't have horses anymore. We're building new fire stations. You guys can just sleep on the first floor. So that's when firefighters sleep on the first floor. And I did not know this, but I, I believe it was in 2010. Uh, in 2010, I think they just started being phased out. Uh, 2010, 2011, fire. Um, yeah, and 
Yes, the National Fire Protection Association called for the removal of all poles from U.S. fire stations due to safety hazards. And uh, I did I did not know that. Now, some places have kept them just for like, you know, like old times sake. And a few places around the world still have them. But you just don't really have fire poles much anymore. And so I appreciate that Wilbur was like, yeah, say goodbye to the fire pole, kids. This might be the last time you ever see it. Taking our fun away. Uh, we get a cute little cross-section of the firehouse. It's not much. Uh, we see the bedroom, the kitchen, storage room, common area. Everything we need is right here, says Cousin Wilbur. Like, it's not the most exciting cross-section. Let me just take a look at my physical copy. Just to make sure I'm not missing on any detail here. Uh, nope. Nope. It's a weird cross-section. It's just like, it's, I mean, I'll show it. It's just, it's the middle of everything. It's, it's, it's zoomed in too much, Mike. This should have been pulled out a lot more. I want to see a real cross. I want to see a Richard Scary-esque cross-section of the Beartown Fire Department. Otherwise, what are we doing here? Um, but then bring the alarm bell rings. Uh, the Bear family runs down the stairs while the firefighters go down the pole, except for Mama, who gets so excited she slides down the pole. Mama gets a little carried away. Uh, and they are like, well, you guys have fun fighting your fire. To which Cousin Wilbur says, want to come along, cousins? Which I guess means, who are the cousins? He calls them all cousins. Yeah. He says, want to come along, cousins? And they all come along. So I don't know. They're all his cousins. We're all cousins here on this planet Earth. Um, also, how do the other firefighters feel about this? We don't know. We don't really talk to any of the other firefighters, but are they like, great, bring a family of five, including a four-year-old, to wherever we're going? I mean, where are we going? Doesn't say. It's just, I mean, Cousin Wilbur says there's a fire, so away we go. And they hop on board the tiller rig, the sirens wail, and they roar away. Uh... I mean, Honey Bear can barely see out from under the giant hat on her head, but here they go. This is where I'll step in and say, if you listen to my the episode where I interviewed my parents, uh, you'll know that my dad was a firefighter. He was a volunteer firefighter. And every once in a while, sometimes, not often, sometimes we'd be driving to or from someplace. Uh, on the weekends especially. And his his pager would go off. He always had a he had this it was a it was a large pager. Uh like a it was like a brick. And he'd clip it onto his belt and it would go. I haven't heard this, God, probably since third grade, fourth grade. He ended up, he broke his leg and he stopped being a volunteer. He broke his leg and was like, I got to slow down. Because he was a volunteer firefighter. He was volunteer EMS. He was my sister's soccer coach. Uh, he, I think he did stuff with like her swim team as well. And he had a full-time job. So he was a busy man. He slowed down. He was like, okay, I got it. He broke his leg coaching soccer, by the way, which is a thing you can do. Apparently, he went to kick the ball to show something. And as he describes it, he went one way. His leg went the other way. And it just broke. Like It's literally how he broke his leg. Just He just broke it by himself. Like the air broke it. Like he did the wrong thing with his leg and it broke. I still don't understand. I remember visiting him in the hospital. And being like, this is weird. Like, I didn't also, I didn't know you went to the hospital when you broke your leg because cartoons always made it look like you broke your leg and then you just got a cast and you went home. And he was in the hospital for a while. They had to get like bolts and screws put in. Like it was a bad break. In any case, he stopped being a volunteer firefighter. But every once in a while, that 
Pedro. Oh, and it would go beep beep. Beep, 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 And we would imitate it when it would go off. But I, that's one of those, like, the sounds that's just, like, burned into my brain is that fire pager going off. Because he also had a pager for uh, for the EMS, uh, which he didn't get called out to that often because he had, like, a – he had specific nights that he was in the stations, but he was always running out to go to a uh, to go to a fire. Uh, but every once in a while, we'd be out. The pager would go off, and he would have to pull, like, we're, I'm going to go check this out. He didn't. He wasn't usually needed, just because he'd get there, and I mean, the actual like firefighters who were in the firehouse would be there already. But he also, because he knew medical stuff, and I mean, they're all medically trained, but like he could help. Uh, and I remember like sitting in the car once outside this just engulfed in flames house. Like we were a few houses back, but it was just I just remember this burning house, like smoke pouring out of it. As my dad like went over and like talked with the firefighters, uh, it was pretty exciting. So I get it. Like, it's not the most dangerous thing in the world they're doing. But they are on the fire truck. It's weird. I'm just saying it's weird. It's weird. Uh, it's not a house that's on fire, though. It is restaurant. Uh, the bear's favorite place. Restaurant. They get to restaurant, which is built into a giant tree. Uh, or it's built in the style of a giant tree. I, I went to... I know I've talked about this before. I went to college in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and there's like city ordinances that like all buildings within a certain area of the city limits have to be built in the Santa Fe style. So they have to be built to look like they're made out of Adobe, uh, but like not just like painted like Adobe. They have to look like they are made out of Adobe. So like when they built a Target, the Target building had to look like an Adobe building with like posts sticking out of it and stuff because it just ha it has to all look like that. That's part of the aesthetic of Santa Fe. So I'm wondering if Bear Town has this like ordinance as well. Like I know you can't build a tree into a restaurant, especially like a what looks to be a huge Olive Garden esque family dining restaurant, but you do have to build it to look like a giant tree because there's a there's a an entryway that looks like it leads into the kitchen of the restaurant. That's huge. It's like big enough for a car to drive in. So I don't understand. I I've never understood Bear Country architecture. I still fail to understand bear country architecture just don't get it however it's a restaurant they're rescuing a dog from restaurant which is weird is this like an apartment complex it just says a smoky fire in a restaurant kitchen oh they climb ladders to get folks down from the second floor they rescued pets from upstairs too so i guess i guess it's like apartments over a major restaurant which isn't like weird uh but i'd never seen that in bear town before like, we don't ever see apartments in Beartown. This is new. This is different. Uh, I like this. I like thinking that, like, brother and sister. I didn't have friends who lived in apartments growing up. I'm from the suburbs. We actually had apartments. Still do. There's apartment, several large apartment complexes at the mouth of my old subdivision. Uh, but I didn't know anyone who lived there. I'm sure I did know kids who lived there. But, like, I didn't ever go there. Apartments were this unknown entity. I didn't have any, we didn't have any close relatives whose apartments we went to. I mean, I know that we had relatives who lived in apartments, but it just, we were in the burbs. It just, it just wasn't a thing people had. Um, or, I mean, it wasn't anything people we knew had. And we lived in a pretty low income neighborhood growing up. So, I mean, I guess maybe it was just as cheap to live in a house in our neighborhood as it was to live in one of the apartments. I don't know. They may be like, Section 8 housing now. I'm not sure. I don't know how it works, but uh, they're still there. They're nice apartments. They look like nice apartments. I don't know. 
Uh, this is where it is in Bear Town. Uh, so how does this all come to a conclusion? Does it come to a Oh, yeah, because I was like, why is there a dog in a Why are all these dogs in this restaurant? Uh, so is there a conclusion to this story? Why, well, yes, there is. Uh, it's just, it ends. The only injury on the scene uh, was a restaurant's chef burned his finger, which I assume happened before the fire, because, again, like, did he stick his finger in the fire? Like, as soon as the fire started, I, I don't understand. So they put a bandage on it. So it wasn't even a bad burn. Paisley helped by licking the chef's face. Now, this doesn't seem like the last page of a book. No one was badly hurt. Chef has a burned finger. The dog licks his face. But it's not the last page. I was wrong. I was totally wrong. Why did I think this was the last page of the book? I don't know. Uh, I must be. I must have some kind of uh, memory issue. Uh, guess what? I do. It's called extreme ADHD. Here we go. Uh, also, the chef was still holding a wooden spoon, I guess, just so you'd know he's a chef. Like, was that your lucky wooden spoon? You're never supposed to go back for something in a fire. So the fire is out. The firefighters pack up their gear. It's time to head back to the firehouse. Uh, restaurant is okay. Yeah, and you look at it. They boarded it all up. Like, it's, I mean, restaurant looks shut down. Like, I'm really sorry to say it, but I don't think restaurants open and back up for a while because that fire spread. They had to board up those windows in the upper floor apartments. Uh, yeah, if you look behind restaurant, you see, like, we're in the heart of Beartown, I guess. So, uh, yeah, it's pre pretty pretty fun stuff. Uh, so now we're on the final page. That's what it is. We're on the final page now. They're all very excited. It's quite a tour. Very exciting. The brother and sister help Cousin Wilbur steer, which scares the heck out of me, kids. Stop doing that. Here come the brave firefighters. They all cried, clang, clang, E-O, E-O, berm, berm. And that's it. Uh... That's that's the way the, that's the way the story ends. That is the Berenstain Bears visit the firehouse, and it has a great cover. It's as nice, although I I I question the use of Mike's use of of motion lines in the cover because it's a what it is. It's a nice shot of the the fire engine screaming towards the cover, like the reader at a nice like angle, nice perspective shot. Uh, but the tires are you see like motion lines coming on the sides of the of the thing, but you also see like what are vi what I think of as vibration lines around the tire. So it looks like the, the 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 fire engine is just idling, like it's shaking. Everyone's like, "Okay, let's get on to the fire, everyone." Uh, uh, but no, it's a good, it's a good. Actually, it's a really good cover. I like the cover of this one a lot. Uh, I, the, Mike was doing some fun things with the with the titles this time. I wasn't. I'm not always happy with the layouts of the covers in this era. Um, just it's my own personal taste. I feel like sometimes like. He's doing fun things with the titles, which I appreciate, but they're not always like centered, what I consider centered aesthetically well. There's something off about them. That's my critique as a big know-nothing, as a guy who doesn't know anything about anything. And there's no questions or answers. There's just ads for other Berenstain Bears books on the back, uh, including a box set, Phonics Fun, which I think we already did. We did Phonics Fun, right? I think we did. That's me throwing my book onto my bed. Or a bed. The bed. It's not my bed. It's the bed. In the office. It's the bed we, like, if like one of us has to stay up really late and we don't want to wake the other person up, it's a bed you can, like, crash on. Like, if you're just like, I'll just crash here on the bed. Uh, or if I'm reading to Mitzi and I need to fall asleep because I'm old, I'll fall asleep on this bed. It's a comfortable bed. 
Uh, but that's the Berenstain Bears visit the firehouse. They visited the firehouse. Hope you got a little bit of history in, too. It was a lot of fun. There was one thing. I think it was... Uh, I can't remember if it was in ancient Rome or if it was in London. And one of the two, there was a thing where, like, whoever was in charge of the city had this thing where... must have been in Rome. If your house was on fire... The fire brigade would get there, and the way it worked was... Oh, because the fire brigade wasn't run by the city. It was run by, like, a rich guy. The fire brigade would get there. In order for him to put out... For the brigade to be allowed to put out your house fire, you had to let the rich man buy your house. So he would, you would have to sell him your house. They would put out your fire. And then you'd have to buy it back from him at an inflated price. Like, that's... Pretty sketch. So... If you have problems with the firefighters today, just thank God they're not pulling that kind of stuff. Kind of. They're not really. We do pay for the firefighters, but not in that way. Uh, so that's the Baron St. Bears Visit the Firehouse. It's fun. I liked this book. If you have kids who are big into fire trucks and stuff and like are like always like, I want to see the fire trucks. This is a good book to get. This is one of those. Like, it's a good one. Uh, and we learned about Cousin Wilbur, whoever he may be. Whose cousin is he? We don't know. We don't know who Cousin Wilbur is. Uh, we know he has a job. And he seems pretty nice, and that he inconveniences his coworkers by bringing five members of of, of his estranged extended family along to a burning restaurant in the heart of Beartown. So, Baron uh, Vers is the firehouse. It was between this book or a book about pirates, and I figured I would have an easier time researching the fire fighters than I would researching the pirates in as little time as I gave myself, and I think I was right. We doing Pirates next week? Maybe. Maybe we'll do the Pirates. Uh, People want to hear about Pirates? You want to hear about Pirates? Maybe I'll do Pirates. Uh, So tune in next time when I might be talking about Pirates. Otherwise, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for listening. If you're watching this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching me move around. Wiggle around. Uh, If you watch this on YouTube on the Phil Gonzalez channel, and you'll see my little logo that says It's Phil. It's just like the one. uh, Well, let me show you the It's Phil. Nope. Let me show you the It's Phil logo. If you're Wait, if you're watching this, it's the logo. It's the picture of me on my logo. Uh, if you find something called Phil Gonzalez and it has this logo, it says It's Phil, little cartoon boy. That's me, Phil. It's me. Uh, thank you so much for listening watching, joining me. Uh, you can listen to my other podcast. It's El Toro Time. We're covering a Flannery O'Connor story this week. So if you like Flannery O'Connor, uh, listen to us talk about Southern Gothic uh, talk about the ugly stories. That's an interesting like subject, like the history, like kind of like the, the ugly narrative, like, yeah, you know, like there's this thing in Southern Gothic writing. It's, it's in a lot of narratives as well, but like in Southern Gothic writers, especially women writers, like really grabbed hold of this one and, and carried it, which was the notion that, uh, if you're a woman of a certain stat status, like a certain level in society, uh, you have two ways of uh, being powerful at this time, which was one was to be so beautiful and marry someone rich. The other one was to make yourself as unattractive as possible so that you didn't have to conform to the expectations of society. It was a form of rebellion. It was a form of political rebellion. It was a form of social rebellion. Uh, uh, and uh, there's many stories written about that happening, and they're called—I think they're called ugly stories or ugly tales—and uh, we're covering one of them on its Del Toro time. Good Country People uh, by Flannery O'Connor. So if you want to hear us, and by us I mean me and Willow, talk about that. Give it a listen. 
at some point, Pizza Toast will be back. I don't know. I need to talk to Christy. She's a busy person. I'm a busy boy. So we'll talk at some point. Otherwise, keep on trucking. Keep on keeping on. And I'll see you all next time deep in... Don't forget to stop, drop, and roll. Uh, Bear Country? Is it playing the song? No, it's not. Now it's... Whoa, that's a little too loud. Is it playing the song? It's playing the song. I'm still getting a handle on this live recording thing. Goodbye, everybody.